This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. I'm Ray Coob, the Doc. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And we've got a different concept, a new thing that we want to try here on the podcast. Um, we sat around, I guess, was the afternoon back in September? We sat around the bar and we wrote down all these crazy ideas for podcast episodes. Huge list. And Huge. one of the things I think you wrote on, on the list was top fives. Yes. And, and we started talking about all the different applications that there can be for top fives. You've got, uh, you know, there's so different instruments, different genres, all different kind of stuff. So we started talking about that, and we thought we'd do an episode about it. And uh, we, we call it Five Favorites, and this is the initial Five Favorites. And the episode is American Singers of the 60s, Top Five Men and Top Five Women. Now, I'm... I'm ready to go. I don't need bet you, partner. Oh, yeah. I am I, so excited for this episode. The way I was raised, ladies always come first, I if you know what I mean. Agree. And uh, I think we should start with the ladies and uh, my, I'm count them up. I'll start. Mm -hmm. I'll go first. And uh, my number five female American singer of the 60s is Judy Collins. Now, she had hit records. She had an air of hipness. Uh, she was with Stephen Stills. She was in that whole scene and uh, had an amazing string of, uh, of records. Her voice was amazing and continues to be even in her older years. And that's why she's my number five. What do you got, partner? For number five, I did not write these down in any order, uh -oh. but I will definitely. Perfect for our podcast. Yes, it's perfect. out of order and imbalanced. Completely out of order and imbalanced. <laughs> I will say Eartha Kitt. Wow. And Eartha Kitt well, is minute, one of my later, or should I say what? Exactly, <laughs> say what? And my first, why? I don't know. My first experience, I guess, with Eartha Kitt was in the seventies, watching the Batman show. She sure. played Catwoman, sure. And dude, she was so sexy. She was, and I was like ten, eleven years old, and I was like, "Who is this woman?" And right. I, and 
I just was totally and the way she smitten purred. by her. Just the way she purred, it was yeah. so awesome. It was purring. It, it made me at that age. It made me it. feel weird inside, and I yeah. couldn't explain it. But first yeah. chubbies, yes. First, I think, yes. And here's the thing: I just to get off track for a second. I think that uh, Catwoman, all the Catwomen through the years and, and movies and everything, have always had that effect on uh, young young men. Worldwide. And some young ladies, too. Worldwide. And but, yeah, no, women. she had that impact on me. And then in the 90s, I started hearing her music, and I just loved it. Her yeah, voice, but, so sultry and just so But you think she's style. one of the top five She's singers? absolutely American one of my five favorite wow. American singers. Of the, the fact 60s. that she Of the 60s. Wow. That was when her biggest time period was. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Out of the women in the 60s, she's one that I listened to the most, some of the most at that time period. It's very personal, and there yes. are no wrong answers yes, here absolutely. on the Imbalanced History of Rock and absolutely. Roll. Five favorites, absolutely. There's definitely no... Um, there's definitely no, um, wrong answers because... I was just curious because that's, yeah, no, that's, that's like a... Out of left field, you uh, know? But that's me. And, I, and you know, and she's and a I newer guess thing, both so... Of our, both of our... Number fives are like yeah. in that. Category. I wasn't expecting Judy, Judy Collins, Collins but but my dad listened to her and he was totally into her music. So yeah, yep. and the folky aspect. My dad loved yeah. folk music, yeah. so yeah, I heard a lot of uh, Judy Collins. So I think her voice is fantastic. When we do the episode about Joni Mitchell, yes, uh, there's the the the. the, the Rivalry or whatever there. Very Between interesting. those two? Oh, very interesting. Ooh, yeah. I want to hear I, about I, that. I, I read it in uh, the book Reckless Daughter. Oh, I'm going to read that book, too. Okay. Quattro. For me, Grace Slick of the Jefferson Airplane Starship. One of the most badass women ever to take to a microphone. Uh, certainly in the 60s, she's one of the top ones. And uh, uh, she changed in, in her older years, still a crazy hippie, mm-hmm. I think, at heart, but she does art now and uh, and kind of disappeared from the music thing at one point. Yeah. And, you know, she uh, at one point she lived in the Philadelphia area. She was uh, married to Skip Johnson, a local guy, so she was actually around quite a bit. Oh, wow. But that was well after she was done touring for the most okay. part, I think. So Interesting. But, I, yeah, she's I amazing. The power, the power, power and her tone. Yeah. You know? She was unique, too. It was a very unique voice, and... Surrealistic Pillows, the album that I listened to a lot because of a friend of mine who was into a lot of this music through his dad and through some of our older friends. So we kind of got lucky with some of our older friends and our babysitters and our parents listened to some really kind of wacky music. This was one of them. And... Her voice, amazing. I mean, White Rabbit to this day should give you goosebumps every time you hear it. That album is a touchstone for a lot of people in, in different, and in not just different generations, different stratas within mm-hmm. the generations. So. Oh, and her influence on women, yeah. mind-bending. Yeah. Great choice. What Great you got choice. there, homie? Number four, Nina Simone. Oh. Another one. And a Philly connection. Another very big Philly connection. I only started listening to her about five or six years ago, but I love jazz. When I write, like I've been, I work on a lot of books and scripts and stuff that I yet to even consider sharing because I'm not happy with where they are. But Nina Simone and Miles Davis are two of the people I love to write to. There's a freedom about jazz, I feel. There's a spontaneity Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. jazz. And Nina Simone was all woman. She was smart. She was jazzy. She was intelligent. Between 58 and 74, she blew out 40 records. 
40 records. She began her career in Atlantic City as a jazz pianist. Um, just in the 60s alone, she released 18 LPs. I have six of those that I've been listening to, and I really, really like them. Her cover of I Put a Spell on You is magical. She has a song that's very, very powerful and very um, civil rights and very um, political called Sea Line Man that's beautiful. She's an activist. I, I just, I really like everything that I've learned about her. Um, I don't know a ton about her yet, and I have a lot to read, but her music, when I write and have that time to myself where I can really write, is some of the music that I always listen to. Wow. So Now, I'm learning about a lot of things, and I'm yeah. learning now about you and yeah. some of your uh, your musical uniqueness yes, as we, we do this. Yes, and I'm learning about some of your musical yes. uniqueness as well. This is awesome. It is the five favorites, American Singers of the 60. At number three for me, she was supreme. She put the motor in Motown. She drove the Supremes and Motown Records to the tops of the charts repeatedly, time and time again. And then she went solo. She became a solo artist that uh, did all kinds of things, including uh, getting nominated for Academy Awards and things like that. She was an amazing voice. And I saw her on the Barry Gordy tribute, the 60th anniversary of Motown special a couple of weeks ago. And all I could tell you is she is still one of the finest showbiz performers in America today. Same as it ever was. Yes, same as it, her music's amazing. Impacted me as well. I grew up with my parents liking a lot of Motown, so I heard a lot of Diana Ross and the mm -hmm, Supremes. Mm -hmm. And her uh, disco-ish stuff in the 70s was part of my teen years as well. So I'm sorry to hear that. I, I didn't care. I really I was didn't not care. a disco guy, even in the slightest. I, I liked it, and I got to be honest with you, I love the, uh, what is it, Saturday Night Fever record, yeah. the Bee Gees album. I love their music, their harmonies. I would do an episode on the Bee Gees, totally. Like, how can you mend a broken harp? I remember getting that folk compilation album with that on vinyl, and I can't believe we... Uh, Sidetrack to that, but Diana Ross, <laughs> seriously, look at all these, look at all these left turns we take. Holy cow. But we got more Diana, left turns than NASCAR, <laughs> boy. Totally. Uh, <laughs> hey, we can't get around a track. Well, what do you got at number three? Number three, the Mamas and the Papas, Mama Cass and Michelle Phillips. Wow. And that one is. You got a two for there, buddy. It's so personal <laughs> because as a baby, my grandfather would dance me around to their music when uh. I was. And I was born in October of 66, and that music came out at the beginning of 66. It was recorded in 65, the uh, California Dreamin' album. And that was one of the tunes he used to dance me around to, and I, I still get goosebumps when I hear it. And as a kid, I never knew why until my mom told me when I was a little older. Ah, wow. So. Well, you know what? And see, now that we talk about the uh, the 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 difference in our ages, yes. I was more in the age group of hearing it coming out of those AM speakers every day, those amazing yeah. sounds. And it was the Papas, too, but the yes. Mamas really drove the bus in there. They really and, did. And it was just an amazing sound, like the Beach Boys. Yes. It just, we just hit you. And that's a really smooth move to get six in on your part, by the way. I, <laughs> and believe me, it was not intentional. It oh, was not no. intentional. So. All right. Now, this is where we might actually have uh, the top two here. I bet they're the same. I'm going to bet money be. these are the two It same. could be. Because when you think about the five favorite American singers, female singers, women of the 60s, how can you not think of the one and only Janis Joplin at number two?
Same for you? Same for me. Ah! And I know our number one is the same. Aretha? Yes. Oh, show me some R-E-S-P-E-C-T, baby. I mean, seriously, <laughs> J- Janis Joplin, amazing, number two. How when can you, you think go wrong? about it, when you think about it, you think about what Janice was all about, and we've we, we were talking um, previously about what could have happened, you know, with with Lane and, and Kurt last week, yeah. and about and other people, Jimmy and Jimmy Janice, and Janice and, Jim, and Morrison. Jim Morrison, and um, you know, I'm sitting there and, I, and I'm thinking about that, and you don't think you don't hear people talk as much about that, but I bet you, dollars for donuts, that she would still be singing the blues. And if and she could, if she could, yeah, if she could, and that's always a it, question when people get into their, you know, their upper stages, later mm-hmm. stages of their career in yeah. life, you know, singers, especially. Yeah. I also think women would have moved ahead faster in rock and roll had she, she been lived. alive without a doubt, because yeah. she was an ass kicker. She would yeah. fucking kick ass if you fucked with her. End of no, story. End of story. There was a, she was a no bullshit, yeah. no holds barred yeah. kind of gal. Oh, yeah. I read stories about her when she signed her manager. She was like, so you want to have sex? I've slept with everybody in the band and everybody else. I do business. So I expect mm-hmm. we're going to sleep mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So she was right up front. Totally up front, but and she and she could be tough too. A friend mm-hmm. of mine, a friend of mine, went to the old electric, original electric factory, um, in the city here in Philadelphia, and uh, it was one of those crazy nights where the Who was playing and somebody else was playing, and a guy said, "Who's that tough looking chick to, next to you at the bar?" And he goes, "Careful, dude, don't say anything. It's Janis Joplin, and she will kick your ass." I mean, you know, she mm-hmm. was not afraid to take a tumble because mm-hmm. she was hanging with the boys in a mm-hmm. time when it wasn't exactly happening in 65, 66, mm-hmm. 67. She was in some uncharted territory like Gracie and some mm-hmm. of the others. And she was a Texan, so she was fucking tough. Yeah. So she put, she had enough of their a shit 60s left tex- A 60s <laughs> Texan woman in a rock and roll world, she's kicking ass. Oh, so what can no you doubt. say about the Queen of Soul at number uh, one? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, she... Was from the beginning, you know. I can't imagine when the guys at Atlantic found her, and just they how they they knew how special she was. They knew what she was what she was bound to be, and uh, you know, sadly we lost her. You know, uh, she'd had some health issues over the years, but she had been in good voice and uh, been living the life as Aretha Franklin should. You know. It's so funny because we're so different on the the, the, the five four three, and there we are, same at two and one. Yeah, but I mean, I also have read stories 
online from other musicians who have shared moments with people like Aretha Franklin. And the stories that I've read about her when she's just been alone on a piano, Mm -hmm. no mic, and just sitting there with people just playing are like mind-fucking-blowing magical moments like out of this world better than anything you would ever hear live and stuff like that like those are some of the types of stories that i've read and heard about her and there was just something really seriously special about her she felt it she felt it i think before anybody yeah but i think once people heard her yeah they knew it too oh yeah And, and there wasn't much discussion you know uh we talked we were mentioning um, you know, how tough it was for women in the 50s and 60s as performers and artists. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had she had a tough road with all that, too, but she handled it well. She, she re- When she realized that people appreciated who she was and she saw the rewards from it and the life from it, she was able to make it all work her way. And that's what the greats get to do, right? You Absolutely. get to have your, you have everything go your way. You, get, you arrange your life that you have you know, the, the means uh, you continue to perform if you want, right? right? And um, right to the end, she was a classy yeah. queen. She Without was, a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Ain't nobody knocking her off the throne. Just when everybody said she was out, she came back in with Free Way of Love and yep. things like that. She always had a hit record coming at you. Mm-hmm. So. Just an amazing musician. Well, there we have the ladies on this week's Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. We're doing the uh, five favorites, and it's American Singers of the 60s. Um, we do have some Facebook feedback here. Right. Um, Let's. Uh... I, I've got I've got it right here. If you want me to, I can I can hear. Let, no, you read it. You read you it. Sure. But, yeah, totally read it. But let's give out the email uh, address: imbalancedhistory at gmail dot com. Oh yeah, we got our do Facebook that. page. Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Check it out. We do more there. And then Twitter, Raycoob Radio and Marcus and Darkus. And that's where we do most of our tweeting from. Yep. Eventually, we'll get our own Imbalanced History page or, or Twitter account. But we right now. We promise to get our shit together. We will get our shit together. But, yeah, <laughs> our Facebook page is where we do most of the posts. And we'd like you to join in on the conversation, especially when we post episodes like this, please share your five favorite male and female vocalists of oh, the that's fi- good. 60s. Yeah, good please idea. do. Yeah. We want to know who you think because and then you nobody's be, wrong. Then you could be in the Gmail bag next week Yeah, on yeah. the next episode. And nobody's wrong. No, there's no wrong answers. That's what's the so, fun part. Yeah. Uh, um, it's funny. We uh, we heard from uh, in the Gmail bag last week from John McBride. Uh, he posted yeah. on episode four on Facebook. Just listen to this episode today. Lots of good stuff about the different formats from which uh, we've listened to our music. Reminded me of stopping at Beck's Music Store on Rising Sun Avenue for the latest 45. Couldn't wait to buy Little Willie by the Sweet. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've got, yeah, I remember Love is Like Oxygen, one of the first uh, 45s I bought, and it's got a little warp on it, and I still think I have it. I will take a picture of it with the warp on the turntable. Cool. So, I want to see that picture. Yeah. Post it on Facebook. I will. I'll definitely right. post it on the page. Well, my dear friend, she is a professor of punk and all things rock and roll, uh, Shiva Galko, uh, posted about uh, proto-punk. It's a little long. Do you mind if I read it? You know, read it. And in within it is a podcast update of a podcast update. Okay. And says, maybe okay. an idea or two. She says, you asked for comments. I'm commenting as I'm listening, so uh, so it does follow your commentary. Yes, 
the yellow banana on early copies of Velvet Underground and Nico peeled off to reveal a pink banana. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And uh, the podcast to the update to the podcast update is the quote about the bands, uh, the kids who bought Velvet Underground's record actually was Brian Eno who said it, but Lou Reed who kept repeating it. Okay. Uh. Uh, the Velvet Underground influence did go beyond NYC. She's got a lot. She's, she's, she knows she's it. She's been. What's her name the, again? Shiva Gokko. Hello, Shiva. She's one of my Thank oldest you radio the, buddies. Thank you very much for the feedback. And she said, uh, Lenny K's amazing early 70s compilation, Nuggets, looms large in the NYC American punk story and belongs in every music lover's collection. It is a great collection. Uh, hard for Boston sports teams to resist dirty water since the song is all about Boston. Uh, note, John Lydon is a dull, self-absorbed asshole. He's always been and always will be. He's a fucking wanker. Okay, have to go take care of some things. I'll finish listening later and see if anything else pops into my head. And then something else pops in her head. Oh, no. <laughs> Summertime Blues wasn't the first Cochran song the Who covered, so they didn't get it from Blue Cheer. That was more of a case of great minds thinking alike. I like how she thinks there. Yeah. No discussion of the Stooges and the MC5 is complete without acknowledging Danny Fields, the legend and genius who got both bands signed, selling the Stooges to Elektra as MC5's little brother band. That's a good one. He was, he was a genius for pulling that off. He deserves his own podcast, and the documentary about him is required viewing. Of course, Lester, and she means bangs, helped a great deal. But without Danny, there would have been no records for Lester to praise. And you know how much I love Lester. Yes, I, I do. So, uh, Gang Wars was a great, great band. I saw them open for John Cale. There's a cross stream for you at Emerald City in June 1980. We were talking about Emerald City with David was sick and in yes, last we week. Were. Uh, the following year, he made a guest appearance with the Dictators at Irving Plaza. Another stellar show. I love the uh, Overall, nice work, Ray. And always remember, when it comes to punk, America shot first. Without a doubt. Shiva. That's awesome. Good call. So, you know, I have another question. Someday. Um, should we talk wh- to him? Well, why are you doing that now? I don't know. Because I just had an idea. Go ahead. I know, but yes, we should. You know, I've been looking at the numbers. Yeah. And I'm not really a big numbers guy. You know, I'm yeah. all about what we're doing here in the studio. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, there's people who are listening in some places, and I want to know if they could reach out to us on imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. People in Argentina That's are awesome. listening every week. Australia, which maybe because it's English speaking, uh, it's more natural mm. for you to think. But there are people there and in Japan, in Curacao, mm. and in the UK, of course. Yeah, please send us an email or yeah, drop us, us a note on you. Facebook. Who say, the fuck say are hi. you? Who the fuck are We'd you? We'd like to acknowledge you. You're listening from far away, <laughs> places... That we've been to or want to visit, so please. This week we're doing five favorites, American singers of the 60s. You heard our ladies. Uh, now I'm going to flip the cards, Wally Bruner. I'm first. And you go first. Number five. Number five. Jim Morrison. The Doors. I can't argue that Jim Morrison deserves to be in the top five of the greatest American singers of the 60s. I cannot I just, argue with that. I love him. His voice was sexy. It was dark, but it was also warm and hypnotic. And I got to admit, at first in my youth, I wasn't so into the doors. I was more into Zeppelin and the kinks. And as I hit puberty, I started following the doors a little bit more and really liking their music. I got you. He was smart. He knew how to. He was very smart. His 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 poet. His po- he was a poet and just amazing. That's what I think people. 
may may have missed a lot of people may have missed that he was a, definitely a poet um and and a, an american treasure yeah and with the music behind him i think you feel the music and the songs a little bit more because the way it was put together was it was smart and i don't know how else to say it that's but i feel the doors and i love jim morrison's voice okay Who's you're not going to believe my number 5 i'm he was a member of the Wrecking Crew, and he took his own songs and took other people's songs and spun them into magic. Glenn Campbell. I actually did not know he was a member of the Wrecking Crew. I just know him as Glenn Campbell, the badass musician. Yeah, and he was that, and then he had the Good Time Hour, the Glenn yeah. Campbell Good Time Hour used to on watch TV. That. Uh, but I have a bunch of his records. We talked in our vinyl episode about my Nana buying some 45s for me, and she would bring me back the occasional Glenn Campbell record. And so I have a few of them, and I really, as a kid, developed an affinity for him, uh, his voice, his phrasing, and also for his writing. He's a pretty damn good songwriter. And who did he work with a lot in the Wrecking Crew? Like, was there a group of people he worked with more, and was he a singer, or was he a guitar player? What did he do with the rock? Well, he the... was a he was a, a picker, but I guess they all, the ones who had vocal abilities, would chime in on background vocals, because they would hire them for the day, and I'm, the, we have to dig more, and yeah. we have to write down to do an episode on the Wrecking Crew. Right. It might yeah. even already We already have it. List. We're going to have to dig into it, And though. do it, but that's my number five. That's a great choice. Thanks. Totally out of not what I was expecting. I don't know. I wasn't. I don't know what to expect. But that wasn't Glenn Campbell. But he's great. So, all righty, number four. Yeah, what do you got? Sam Cooke, smooth yeah. voice of gold. Yes, he did ten albums in the '60s. A change is going to come. Mm. It's just magic. And I've heard some great covers of it over the years, including the Seattle punk band The Gits did a beautiful, very punk cover of it. But there's something about his voice that just woos you. That's Marvin the, Gaye that's had a good that way gift. To put it. Is, that's a good way to put it. He wooed you. And he just, even like another Saturday night, which Cat Stevens did a phenomenal cover of, mm -hmm. but there's nothing like Sam Cooke's version no. of that song. And it his mojo, he, his mojo is in his voice. It, it seemed effortless to him. Yeah. Um, he was part of the soundtrack coming out of the radio when, when I was a little kid. So you'd always hear his music. And I, I just heard songs I liked and didn't know who they were and I had to find out or listen for the DJ, God forbid. Yeah. And, uh, but that was, uh, yeah, that's a good one, man. That's a good one. Who's your number four? My number four really broke out in the 1950s. By the end of the 1950s, he was on fire. He was with Atlantic Records right there next to Aretha at the beginning. And then he made the break and went to ABC Dunhill, the great Ray Charles. Oh, I can't argue with that. I yeah. didn't even think about Ray. I didn't even think about him. He might have made my top five. Well, I always think about Ray. I don't know why, but <laughs> but I always uh, Ray Charles is one of my favorite singers, and I don't know that I have. I've got some stuff on CD and maybe one piece of vinyl, but like I wasn't collect. I might have one forty red uh, Atlantic label forty five too. But uh, Ray Charles could do it all. I mean, when I saw him. At the the Dell East is a, a small open air band shell um, out in the open. It's not like the the um, covered part. There are no covered seats. You just sit outside, and it was him and his orchestra. It was just amazing, good stuff. What year was that? 
You're asking me to remember that it was pre it was like early eighties. Because I saw him in ninety one. I saw him in ninety one and it was amazing. Same it's type still, of orchestra. Oh yeah. yeah. Could sing like nobody's business and he could play those ivories. Oh Yeah. It is the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll Podcast. This week we're doing five favorites, and we invite you uh to suggest a category by uh emailing us at G- our Gmail account. It's imbalanced history at gmail dot com. And now we move to the big three. What do you got, Bodie? Jimi Hendrix. As a singer. As a singer. Wow. You know, Jimmy hated his voice at first. He didn't. He it's did. not a great voice. Like, no. it's not a great voice, but with no. the music. He was a way better singer than he thought he was. And it took other people showing him and then hearing it and then realizing that he had a unique, a unique mm-hmm. instrument. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like everybody else. And when you combine that with the guitar, that's what made him an unstoppable force yeah. in the universe. Absolutely. I mean, the vocals worked perfectly with his playing style. The fact that he was a little different, saw the world in color, kind of did everything to his own groove. Mm. Um, he added a feel factor, and the way he painted pictures... He was a gift to this world. His guitar spoke to you like nobody else's. Everybody, I mean, like, if you look at all these great guitar players, every one of them has something about them that makes them so exceptional. His guitar spoke to you, at least to me, in a different way. And then you hear his vocals. It just painted this big masterpiece of a picture. And one of the uh, perfect examples that you hear on the radio all the time is All Along the Watchtower. That is a fucking masterpiece. It is. It's as perfect as perfect. It's as close to perfect as perfect gets. And I know it's a Bob Dylan song, but he mm-hmm. made it his own. And oh, I'm yeah. sure Bob thanked him many times. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a masterpiece. And that's not even, and that's only a minuscule amount of what he's done. His Monterey performance, ridiculous. I played that at my vinyl night at Crooked Eye. Uh, played a little stretch of that Jimmy uh, at, at Monterey. Well, it's your number three. It's funny because my number three on the ladies correlates kind of to the number three on the gentlemen, where there's smoke, there's Smokey. Ooh. Smokey Robinson is a, one of the founding producers and songwriters of Motown. Wrote a bunch of songs that gave away that would have probably sold him millions more records, but he s- still did okay yeah. on the royalties. Yeah. Thing is, when Smokey sang, he, sa- he often saved the, the, the best stuff for himself. That he wrote, he would write a song for David Ruffin and give it to the Temptations because he heard David Ruffin singing it. But when he heard himself, he kept those songs. Think about all the amazing songs. Uh, he was there for uh, the 60th Motown thing a couple weeks ago on CBS, and it was just wonderful to see him looking good. Son of a bitch, looks. Good. Oh yeah, he looks fantastic. And, uh, and uh, but to have him be such a big part of that programming, the content yeah. uh, in the in the theater, and then on, you know on the film parts, he was kind of mm-hmm. narrating and hosting part of that, and it was just great to see. And and it, the songs that he wrote, the songs that he produced, and the songs he did with the Miracles and on his own, it's just uh, he stands alone amongst. You can say what you want about the whole Motown thing but how can you there, maybe there's no motown if there's no smoky so where there's smoke there's, there's smoky there's no doubt about it his voice is magical beautiful there's something about his style i haven't been able to put my finger on what it is about his voice but it's oh 
God, he's so good. My brother saw him in Vegas in the 80s. Wow. You ready for number two? What do you got? Wilson Pickett. Wow. In the Midnight Hours, the song that hooked me. There's something about it. I don't know what it is. And his version of Hey Jude, where he just lets it. The man could wail. Lets it fucking fly. He does. And he really does. And just a beautiful voice. The musicians, the Stax musicians he had underneath him were just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And, like, Stax is kind of like the Motown of the South, where you had, you know, I think Otis Redding, uh, Wilson Pickett. And a few Sam Cooke might have done some stuff in the South as well. And they just they 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 found their guys and they mm-hmm. would tour all over. Uh, and and that's how they that's how mm-hmm. they made their way until things changed in society. Yeah, yeah. But like I don't know, like just some of the things that he did. It just I don't know. He he also recorded an album in '71 at Sigma Sound called Wilson Pickett in Philadelphia with Gamble and Huff. Cool. I gotta get my and ears on that. I found that I I did not know that one um, because I have a couple of his albums from the '60s, including in the Midnight Hour, which I really love. And I'm I've always liked his music, but I've been just kind of crazier about him the last ten, fifteen years. You know whose version of In the Midnight Hour I always loved? Who? Grateful Fucking Dead, man. They could play that sucker all night. I need to hear that. Oh, I have it on vinyl. Oh yeah, I'm bringing it. All right, bring it. Yeah, we all gotta right. hear that on vinyl. So right, who's your number two? Well, we already covered Jim Morrison. My number two is the shaman. He's the snake. He's everything. And he was so expressive. You talked about the poetry and the words. Mm-hmm. His voice was so expressive and powerful. We weren't used to that in a pop star, in a pop right. record. And when it came out of the AM speaker, it, it just cut through everything. But we didn't even know until, I mean, until I started really listening to albums and realizing uh, just how amazing the doors were, I didn't get the full picture of the, the depth of Morrison. And, uh, you know, the end and things like that show one part of it. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the stuff on the second side of Morrison Hotel. Um, but, you know, when you think about, you know, Mr. Mojo Rising, you yeah. know, the, the, you know the, the power in his voice. Jim Morrison, top five, perfect. I mean, he's just... Like you said, he, there's just something about that dude's style. And it's only apropos that he's the son of a military child. He's a military kid. He is, well, he's a military boy. Yeah, it was a rebellion dad, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And his dad hated his music. His dad was so disappointed in the first album. And <laughs> I guess so. No, he really was. He he sent him a letter, and I can't remember right, what the right. letter said. But you understand. Yeah. Okay, the doors cut their teeth at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Yeah. The night they performed the end was their they got fired. Yeah. And that's at the Whiskey at Go Go. You can only imagine how Jim's dad felt about it. So yeah. I understand all that. Wow. Numero uno, Senor Marcus. Sweet Marvin Gaye. <sighs> we are in accord here. Yes, we are in we agreement. Are. We are. Woo. I mean, I can't go wrong with him. He did nine albums in the sixties. Yeah. And it was every one of them has had hit records on it. Everyone pummeled you with hits.
In the 60s, he did duets with Kim Weston, Mary Wells, yeah. and Philadelphia's Tammy Terrell. The great Tammy Terrell. And and his death, her death really blew, uh, impacted him in yeah. a hard way. I mean, yeah. and the fact that they were doing songs from musicians and songwriters like Ashford and Simpson, yeah. Ain't No Mountain High Enough. They were talking about that on that Motown special, too, you know? Mm. And just just the way they sang together. Oh, there was a there two voices as singing as one, the way, like, when two guitar players play yeah. together, like uh, Woody, Slash and Woody, Miles Kennedy. Or, or uh, Woody and uh, and Keith, you know? Yeah. The way they just blend together. But he was also, at the end of the 60s, was one of the first artists to start saying, there's a consciousness to my music. There's a consciousness to what I'm thinking. He's, he was plugged in at the beginning of the Earth Day movement and uh, and the environmental movement. Um, you know, he talked about sexual healing, a song that still gets played like crazy. That was the, the 80s. Yeah, but, yeah, but, he's, but yes. this is all part of his, yeah. his legacy. Oh, but yeah. you, you go back to those records in the 60s, and Marvin Gaye, with or without Tammy, was the sound of summer coming out of your radio. Without a doubt. Yeah. Everything he did, I mean, I heard it through the grapevine. Yeah. Oh. And Fogarty did a ripping cover of that. Like, sure. the CCR cover is absolutely brilliant, but Marvin Gaye's is even better. It was understated, where Fogarty's was all, all played out, yep. right? All stretched out and yep. jammed out. It was that gentle... Dun, dun, dun. The music wasn't even that forceful. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until Marvin came in and started singing that just... Mm -hmm. It, it it put the hair up on the back of the neck. Same with Jim Morrison. Same with Janis mm -hmm. Joplin when I first heard. First time I heard Aretha go to the top of her register. Same thing. These, mm -hmm. That's why they're in her. That's why they're well, yeah. in the on these top five lists. Absolutely. So that's but, cool. I mean, and think about and just in the '60s alone, he did that stuff, and then he changed in the end of the '60s and wrote more about love and peace and social awareness. And I think. He did four albums in a row that were progressive soul albums, full prog soul, yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Um, What's Going On was the second one. I cannot remember the name of the last album he did in the 60s, 1969. I'm totally farting on it. And oh, then in 70, yeah, and, no, it isn't that. It's because I totally forgot. It has nothing to do with that. That doesn't affect our memory. We've been doing that too long. Stop. Stop with that. Okay. But it ain't that. Um but and then he did let's get it on but in between there he did an album that was never released before called you're the man and i got a copy of it what it's out it came out last friday i'll burn you a copy of it sure i'd love to hear that dude it is unreal it is very political it is very progressive it is it's a prog soul album you hear a lot of curtis mayfield style in it mm. the, with jazz grooves underneath i mean it's really Really a beautiful mix, and the liner notes are pretty moving as well. That album you were reaching for out of 1969 from Marvin Gaye was MPG. That's the name of the album, I think. It was his last album of the 60s, yep. and had songs like Too Busy Thinking About My Baby, That's the Way Love Is. That's when he started to make the move towards Ooh. what you were talking about and became... I think in my he went from being just another great singer in the in the times to being an immortal with the changes in the, that he oh. made through the seventies. But his his voice could stop time. He had that voice that could stop time. 
It is the imbalanced history of rock and roll, and if you haven't figured out that that's the fucking truth by now, (laughs) it definitely is. That is our first five favorites, American singers of the 60s. Tell them what they should do if they have an idea, Marcus. If you have an idea. For five favorites. Or anything else rock and roll related, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com, or you can hit our Facebook page, Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Like it, live it, love it know it thanks for finding our podcast we have another feature that we uh, do called podcast update and i already told you about the podcast update of last week's podcast update brian eno was the one who actually said that but uh that's from a couple weeks ago last week we posted about uh curtain lane yes and we were talking about uh, the show that uh, nirvana played at jc dobbs uh in october of 2000 or 1991 and it wasn't a philly band that opened it was the melvin's and I had forgotten that. All do hell, remember, King Buzzo. Did you do you remember seeing them perform back then? Who Melvin? Yeah, yeah, I saw them a couple times. They're Two, great live. Yeah, I saw them open up for Tool at Red Rocks. I might have seen them open up for Tool here. Yeah, they did because like, they did that whole tour together. Yeah. I think Maynard was painted blue at Red Rocks that night. Hmm, I'll have to reference my mind on that one. I'm sure it'll come out. But the um, yeah. Um, I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that to everybody who was wondering. So my Dobbs friends, you know, that are listening to the podcast, yeah. all five of them, uh, don't have to worry about getting in touch. But you can get in touch anyway. Yes, please do. Through imbalancehistory at gmail.com. So there we are. It's our first five favorites. Episode number nine in the can, my friend. What are we going to talk about next week? I don't know. We have to talk about that so we can figure out what we talk about next time right here. On the imbalance history of rock and roll.